Welcome to the Blue Collar Nation podcast, the podcast dedicated to making the lives of home service professionals better. Now join Eric and Larry to talk about all things home service. Well, hello, everybody. This is Larry from the Blue Collar Nation podcast. I'm in here with my imperious business partner, the Tech Whisperer, Mr. Eric Sprague. What's happening, Eric? How are you? Do you, re- you pronounce that word again? Imperious. <laughs> imperious. And what, and what shit on Google does that say about me? You say it starts with without justification, assuming power authority. I loved it because it started with without justification. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is my man. This is this is Eric. Imperious. Yeah, you know, but I, I knew you were gonna correct me on it, but I think the way it phrased it was imperious. No, so imperious. You know, like imperial. Yeah, there we go. See, anyway, with, with justification, I'm correcting you. <laughs> exactly. With justification on a continuous. That was all. It could have been anywhere in the whole world, but it starts with with it with justification. Bada bing. I'm good. Nah, I don't know if you know, we sorry. start every podcast with Larry saying something horrible about me. <laughs> I was waiting. It's I was. Always, I was <laughs> what's it going to be? It's always it's always justified. I mean, I don't just bring this stuff out of the blue. <laughs> I mean, this is like from tried and true experience. I just have to do a little bit of research, and bada bing, there it goes. Right. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. So anyway, we want to get to the podcast, but we got a killer sponsor of the podcast. So Eric, play that track. And now a quick message from our title sponsor, SuperTech University. Did you know 85% of financial success comes from soft skills abilities and only 15% from our technical abilities? SuperTech U was created by longtime restoration pros, Eric Sprague and Larry Wilberton. Their daily three to five minute videos train your entire company on the soft skills they need to make your business thrive. Plus, your entire team earns IICRC CEC credits, all for about the cost of one tank of gas. To get more information about SuperTech University and receive a special six lesson e-course on in-home sales, go to supertechu.com backslash podcast offer. Again, get your free in-home sales training at supertechu.com backslash podcast offer. And we're back to the show. So we have an amazing guest today that we're excited to talk to. We have Matt Debara. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I say that every time, but I want to I double check it with you. Check it out. Matt has a killer, killer history here. He's the Hollywood's most trusted contractor, which I'm dying to hear about. He's a CEO of Contractor Consultants. He's a super specialist in hiring. And he also got the Quality and Craftsmanship Award from Congress. I mean, how cool is that to have on your resume? Anyway, Matt, it's a pleasure to see you today. Thank How's you. How's it going, you like, buddy? Matt, you like our pro clap track? I love it. <laughs> I love it. We'll do it yourselfers here at Blue Collar Nation Podcast. This is great. I knew this was going to be a lot of Chuck, fun. It's the Chuck in the truck of podcasting. Oh, this is the best. This is the best. I feel right we, at we all. Just, yeah, you know, we try and fill it in in different ways. We get, you know, imperious about things. Imperious or imperious about things, and it works out just fine, you know. So anyway, Matt, it's nice to see you. Eric's got a ton of questions for you. Hopefully he doesn't get uh, too justification with you and uh, taking control too much with assuming power authority. But I have good faith that he's going to handle this quite well. So, Eric, you got the floor, man. Thanks. Well, Matt, thanks for coming on the show, man. Really, really appreciate having you on. We have a bunch of mutual friends, which is very cool. So uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Why don't we start? Larry had mentioned a little bit at the beginning about your masonry business and you guys have been in business a long time. So maybe like take it back full background, like all the way from you as a kid growing up with your, I'm assuming your grandfather and your dad and whoever else was in the business. Like how did that look for you as you started coming into adulthood? Yeah, my family, uh, we've been in construction 104 years now. We can trace it back. We we think it's longer because we see what they built in Italy. Um, but 104 years, we know for sure. Uh, and I started when I was nine. I mean, I was a young kid, a lot of energy. 
my dad wanted me out there when I was real, real young. And my mom's like, he's too young. And then, um, you know, my fourth grade summer, I was bouncing off the walls the first day. She's like, take them. And that was the start of my construction career. My dad took me out to buy work boots. You know, he's like, pick your size, kid. You're going to need these to fit tight. And that's where I started picking up trash on job sites at nine years old and working with dad nights, weekends, and, and just grew, grew with him and with the crews and, and whatnot. And, and my grandfather was involved at that time. My uncle, uh, it was just very much that kind of blue collar American dream. I had two great grandfathers from Italy came here and, and, and the rest is history. Yeah. They're, they're grinding. They were grinding. Yeah. That's literally awesome. with the masonry. So, yeah. so that's when great. did you get to like, I, I have, I'm just curious. This is for my own knowledge. So when did they like, let you stop just picking up trash and start actually working in the trade where you like, 11 or something like I, I that. Was, I was young. I mean, I was, so I was nine. I started off picking up trash and then I went to sorting rocks. My, we were building a lot of stone walls at that time for like city walls when they were widening roads. They had to put, you know, extend the retaining walls and stuff. And uh, I was sorting rocks. And then my dad brought me to the, I got, I was probably 60 pounds. And back then Portland cement was 94 pounds. And uh, my dad was, he brings me over to the cement mixer and he's like, all right, you ready to mix mortar? And he's like, we got to get the, he shows me the whole thing. Right. And then he's like, we got to get these bags over by the mixer. I'm like, dad, I'm like 60 pounds. He goes, don't worry. He takes a razor blade, cuts the bag in half. He goes four shovels is a half bag. Eight is full bag. You'll figure it out. Kid drops a bucket and leaves. And that was the start of my like official, you know, mixing mortar, you know, prepping stone, all that stuff. So, Oh, I didn't know we shared the same dad. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sounds familiar. Yeah. That sounds super familiar to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that dude that's how most of us start right yep. just like figure it out so all right so you uh, you know i'm assuming you're still in school and and what happened like you're kind of getting out of high school college yeah i went to i went to college i worked summers nights you know i was estimating i was doing all kinds of stuff traveling back um i had days off with classes i, I packed my schedule so i had a few days off and I mean, I was working full summers and I went to a vocational high school. So I had every other week, I could actually go out and work with my dad as a co-op. So, I mean, I was in the trades, like running crews, laying brick at 15, 16 years old. So, so hang on the vocational high school. We haven't had anybody on the program. We always talk about that all the time. Explain, how was that? Did that help you a lot? Did you learn a lot that translated into your experience? It's the best, best decision I ever made. Um, you know, my, my family, we, the big thing for us was we were a little insecure because like my dad, my grandfather, and my, they, they knew things from the old world, they said. And my dad was always like, we don't know. Like my dad could tell you, he could literally put his hand in, in, in mortar and tell you, you know, a quarter scoop of lime. And I'm like, how do you know? He's like, you just know, kid. And I'm like, this is going to be hard to pick up, you know? And so I went to school to learn the right, quote unquote, the right way of things. Um, and that was really, it taught me like the educational components of of why we do certain things, like how to size a firebox and all that stuff. Um, but then I also learned that the trades are fun and they're exciting because I was surrounded by so many kids who were all carpentry, welding, cosmetology. So yeah, I mean, it changed changed the whole trajectory of my life. And when, when they, when you were doing that, were, were they also, do you think your grandfather and your dad were also hoping you would get like new, the business aspect of it too? Because like, I can only imagine that, you know, grandfather comes over here and, you know, he's grinding, but he probably down deep is thinking like, yeah, but do I know all the things that I really should know to run this business? Right. Like, and I think a lot, we all start that way. Larry and I were that way. It's like, okay, we know how to work real hard. Do we actually know how to grow and scale this thing? Yeah. I mean, I competed in a national organization called Skills USA. I ended up placing second in the country, but there's, uh, I think it's 340,000 students nationally, right? So they've got local chapters and, and, and state chapters, and it's a really phenomenal organization. And you, what the, at the district level, you take a test, a written test. So you you do a physical hands-on competition. I did at my school level, and then district is a test. So you're taking, you're asking business questions. You're asked, yeah. you know, questions on on how to set up job sites, safety, and that gave me a lot of confidence coming out into the workforce for sure. Yeah, that's cool, man. All right. So then after co- like, so you're kind of going through college and also working in the business. Did you go straight into the business after? after college? Like, I mean, did you go straight in and like, let's go? 
Yeah, I was working with my dad. I mean, I was running, pro- I mean, I was pretty much taking it over towards the end of high school. I mean, we were doing government jobs. My dad didn't have a lot of patience. <laughs> I love my dad, but, you know, we we're on a, a half mile uh, long wall in, in Quincy, Massachusetts. It was a historical preservation project. You had like the mayor, you had architect. It was a whole prevailing wage, big debacle project, you know, high profile thing. And my dad's walking with the debacle. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was a whole thing. And my dad's walking with the architect and we're, we're supposed to walk this half mile and find like areas where we're going to redo this cap. We get six steps. My dad's like, I'm done. He hands me the plans and he just leaves. And the architect's like, what will he be back? I'm like, never. He's like, he's like, it's, it's like, just this, me. this is bullshit. I'm yeah. over this. My dad was done. He's like, you figure it out, Matt. He's like, call me when you're done. I got to make some calls. And so, you know, I was really like hands-on in the business, uh, multiple crews at like 18. And then from there, just kind of crew and and here we are. All right. Interesting. All right. What about your grandfather? Was he still in it when you were a kid? I got, yeah, he was. I have a photo of him. He was 78 years old. We were working on a cemetery and he was, he was doing the mortar joints. Like I was sitting on a bucket. Um, Actually, it was his last day of work. He got a little dizzy. And my grandma was like, that's it. You're retired officially. And, and that was the 78. Yeah. Still working. Dude, you guys have the, the American success dream story, right? I mean, I like to think so. I mean, they came here, you know, with that goal. And, and I just carried things across the line. I didn't, you know, they did a lot of the heavy lifting. It was I get the credit, I guess, like a lot of the things you read off the accolades. But I mean, I stand on their shoulders for sure. Well, you see that a lot too, though. I mean, not just in an immigrant situation, but like where I live. Like my whole town's full of a lot of like successful contractors and almost every one of them kind of came into a family business that had been around a long time. But then because they kind of grew up in it and then went to school, they like it like supercharged it. Like, I think that's a common theme, but like without the the father or the grandfather just grinding through to get some sort of name. It can't supercharge. Like you need both sides of that coin. Do you, do you see that with contractors that you work with? Yeah, all the time. I mean, you you usually have somebody who just kind of they just. It's almost like this natural innate ability, and I and it's it's always been fascinating to me because I've been fortunate enough HVAC, electrical, plumbing, and and I can't like my grandfather, for example. My grandfather could size a firebox looking at it. He'd be like, "You got to go an inch wider." I'm like, how do you know? He's like, you just know. But and then I go to school and I'm finding out within a quarter of an inch or an eighth of an inch, he was right on all of his assumptions. Like now I got the chart and I'm looking back at the file. I'm like, let's see if he really knows what he was doing. And I'm going back measuring. And I'm like, he's within a quarter, an eighth of an inch on all. Like, how do you know these things? And so you have that both, but it was really because he's a real craftsman. Well, and that's the art, yeah. artistry and the craftsmanship that, and I saw it with, you know, we called them old timers. I was working at nine years old with guys in their late sixties you know, on job sites, HVAC, carpenters, plumbers, and they just knew, you know, you just, it was like this innate ability. And it's like driving with back in the old days before you had like the GPSs and, and whatnot, you, you really knew how to navigate and you had that skill set. And then I came into it and you had the technology, which they thought was cool. You know, I could use the GPS, but I thought it was cool that they could never get lost. And so it was that, it was that kind of really interesting parallel of, of both of those melding that I think really helped us out. So as you started getting kind of running the business, what were the changes that you felt you needed to make? Like what, what was it to take it to become Hollywood's most trusted contractor? Like, you know, what are the things that had to like, obviously if you're, you know, getting historical preservation jobs in Quincy, you guys are doing something right. Right. But then what's that net, what's the next level look like? Like, how does that work? You know, there's there's things. The hardest part, I think, growing up in a family business, but most businesses, I, I would say, is is there are certain things you take to be true. Like my dad would be like, "That's just how it is," and I'd be like, "Okay, that's how it is." And then there's other things, like for example, he'd be like, "Matt, let me tell you something. No one's going to work as hard as family. You can't trust anybody. You know, it's hard to grow a business. You know, like I had all these limiting beliefs that I didn't know that I had, and so I'm looking. I remember my dad telling me. He's like, I interned for a company. It was one of the largest construction companies on the East Coast. They do you know, many billions of dollars a year. I was on this huge $300 million project and they had thousands of employees. They started as a masonry company, right? And they grew to general contracting. And then, and I'm going, dad, these guys, they got, they got like 9,000 9, employees. Like we've got 40. I'm like, there's gotta be, like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And I'm you're like, like, 
You're like 8,995 can't not care. Well, that's exactly it. I'm like, so, but it's like, you know, but, and I'm struggling because I'm saying, okay, my dad's right. 90% of the time, you know, he says it, it's true. He says it's true. And then I'm like, oh, but this one thing, I don't think he is. And so when I started to be able to spot those things like technology, you know, he wasn't, uh, my dad was huge on innovation of products, like any new tool or product. My dad knew about it. He used to get uh, uh, trials from like manufacturers on things before they even released it because he was such a you know a, a tech nerd with that stuff but when it came probably to great feedback for them i expect yeah yeah exactly but on technology not at all like computers you know crms marketing so how did that go how did that go when you present things to him he's an old school guy he's a craftsman and you're like okay dad i have this great system here and it's on my phone here take a look at it it's like yeah. no did yeah, he push yeah. it away an awful lot or how does it go because there's probably a lot of things that you could implement that would be helpful that weren't old school. Well, I'll tell you how it went. I got licensed at 19 years old in college because my dad goes, you think you know better? Figure it out, son. So that's how it happened. He said, if you really go. marketing and sales, he's like, all this stuff, this hoopla, you know, is so great. He's like, you figure it out. And we, we, we split for like six months, I would say. And I got licensed. I started marketing. And within three months, I was on a home advisor at the time. Within three months, I was like, I was at school and I was like, Hey dad, I got this job. It's like 250 grand. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do it. You want it? He's like, you're kidding. And I was like, yeah. And that brought us back together. You know, he's like, Oh, maybe there is something to this, but I had to go out. My dad's old school. You know, he's old school. You know, he's like, you think you know better? I've been doing this for 35 years, kid. And, and, but it wasn't until I proved it. And then he sat down and he was like, Whoa, there's something here, you know, that shape shifted things a lot. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, that's great. Hey, you to listen to you because you know you bring. Go ahead, Eric. I just said his dad wanted him to prove that th- there was real results. Yeah, but he also had the uh, foresight to see that you could bring something to the table, and he was at least open to that. There's many old school people that we run into all the time that would are zero percent open to any type of change. So credit to your dad that he saw what you were doing and there was value to that. That's pretty cool. I was I was horrified because I saw people, you know, I started, I mean, my my early like career 2008. So I saw people, my dad's friends, you know, doing 30 million, 40 million a year wiped out. And so I was I was horrified because my dad's driving me to their auctions. You know, he's like, see what happens when you don't pay attention in business. He's like, you got to watch everything. I'm going to these auctions where people are losing everything. You know, my dad had a friend. He was doing 35 million bucks a year. Next thing you know, my dad's loaning him money. We're at his auction buying equipment. And I'm like, as a kid, I'm horrified. At this point. So yeah. like if that guy can go under, anybody can go under. I have that fear to this day. Like my that was the single best thing my dad ever did was he taught me never to be, you know, never rest on your laurels. Like he's like, We got this family yeah. name, but we earned it. And so that that was the, that was why I was so uh adamant on the marketing. I was like, we have to have control of it. I'm like, I'm like, dad, so and so went under, like, we gotta he's like, But yeah, like it doesn't work. Yellow pages. And I'm like, you know, yellow pages. Yellow pages. You know? <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. I love it. You know, like, you he's, like, full page. Day, man. he's like full page. I used to sit with my dad. We'd go to the pizza shop, you know, every six months and he'd be like, oh, you know, we're going to do a full page ad. We're going to do the little, the little chimney sweep icon guy. Like that was, that was my start in the, in the industry. I remember for Larry and I, like, you know, 2009, 10, 11 or whatever, the poor yellow page door to door guy would come to the office and, you know, because we we made our living by especially Larry knocking on doors. So I would always see the people who came. Right. You know, like, I mean, as long as I had a moment, I would always if you come to our if you have the balls to come knock on my door, I'm going to talk to you. Right. And this guy would sit down and be trying to sell me a full page ad. Right. And I would be like dude, nobody uses this anymore. Like you've got to get a new career (laughs) like this. You literally have the hardest job in the world because you're selling something that nobody needs. (laughs) There's still people out there doing it because there still are yellow pages, but somebody's looking at them apparently because somebody's paying to be in there, which is just crazy. I I think it's great. We got a boat tech. I think if you look, I I think it's senior community that might work. Yeah, potentially, you know, but we got a boat tech guy. Getting away from yellow pages. That's so cool. I mean, Eric's jealous of you already because you made it through Votex school because he wanted to go himself. He didn't get a chance to. So um, I think this is awesome. That's going to be the title of the podcast. So, Matt, when I was a freshman in high school, I, I, I was a good athlete and a, not a great student. And I used to look out the window and I could see all the Votex guys like 
we had this huge Vogue tech component at my high school and I would see them all building stuff. And I'd be like, dude, I need to be down there. Like I I'm Charlie Brown's teacher up here, you know, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I went to my guidance counselor and I was like, Hey, like, I think Vogue tech's a good fit for me. Like, I really want to do that. And you got to remember, I'm a lot older than you. And, and he looked at me, he said, Eric, you're an athlete. Vogue tech's full of burnouts. You're not going to Vogue tech. And you know, I'm like what, 13 or 14. And I'm like, okay. And I resent that to this day because I would have thrived in, in that environment. Yeah. 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 You don't look like a burnout. You look like you're doing okay. Hey everyone, Eric here with Blue Collar Nation Podcast. And I would just like to take a moment to talk about my favorite magazine, for the cleaning and restoration industry. And that is CNR Magazine. I've been a longtime reader of CNR Magazine. And now my good friend, Michelle Blevins has purchased that magazine and is growing it at an amazing rate. So if you're in the cleaning and restoration industry, you will be excited to hear that not only can you get CNR Magazine digitally, but you can also get it for free in print form, actual paper where you get to sit on your couch and read it which if you're my age, that's appealing. So all you have to do is go to cnrmagazine.com and that's C-A-N-D-R magazine.com to get your free subscription. And it's even in print. So if you want to stay on top of what's going on in the cleaning and restoration industry and he, you know, get to see a lot of cool articles by a lot of very smart people, go to C-A-N-D-R magazine.com well it was the same when i went though i mean it wasn't a cool thing to do you know my friends were like well you're gonna go there you're a dirty bricklayer i mean that was my whole childhood was like that i mean this this decision didn't pan out you know this decision didn't pan out and you know until really the last like three or four years everything kind of glued together until then it was like you know i was just the guy that that really loved what my family did and had a passion for it i mean and i was confused you know yeah all right. Well, let's head into uh, let's head into your consulting business because, I mean, that's that's kind of a logical step. If you've grown up in this for so long, now you're going to help other people learn what you've taken your entire, literally your entire life to to learn. So let let's talk a little bit about how a contractor consultant started. How did you come up with the idea? How did you implement? Yeah, so I, I brought I brought the business out to to California where we are. So we still we still do it on the East Coast. It started that, grew that, and uh, and I lost. I mean, the 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 crux of the matter is I lost nearly a million dollars in the span of like three weeks, and this was about three years ago. And what what happened was I was so focused on sales from what I just mentioned earlier, which was that young kid. My dad took me around, showing me everyone going out of business, and I was so I was like, if you can sell, you can do anything in construction. And the problem was, was that hiring was changing. You know, the, the ways we did it, like, you know, popping out on Indeed, reach out to some contacts we had who usually had a few extra people or we had small business friends. And so my business at the same time I was doing, I think it was one or two celebrity homes in California. I was doing a commercial project and I was doing the Veteran National Cemetery in Los Angeles, prevailing wage project, like 9,000 pieces of granite. And I felt like we were at the pinnacle of the business. Like it was like, I remember going home and uh, my 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 fiance at the you know I told her I was like this is what my great grandfathers came to this country for it was like this moment and then three weeks later it was like my team brings me in a room and they had these whiteboards and one was all the clients canceling one was all the jobs that were going over schedule one was liquidated damages and it was basically like a million bucks and I had been ignoring them for months they're like hey Matt like we're posting and we can't find anybody I'm like oh, I'll be fine you know we're high five in selling half a million dollar jobs and not paying attention to anything and it just the whole business almost collapsed like I almost lost everything and you know fourth generation family business put a lot of pressure on yourself you know second in the country bricklayer like I was there and so I remember just being devastated because I'm like wow that thing that 2008 thing that I was so scared of well I found the the next ver- and it, and it killed me like I said, I made a vow in that moment and I said, look, I'm going to figure out hiring and take control of the business. I said, I'm going to shut it down. And so I spent the next year, mentors, coaches, traveling. I studied tech. I studied and I was like, I need to figure this out. And I didn't find like a system that worked, right? I had a lot of people that were like, this is the way. And I get a little result. 
but I didn't find that thing. And, and, and so I ended up putting together what I found out worked for me, how to find that hire and retain in this marketplace. We ended up coming up with 37 proven ways to find talent. And when I tell you, like I tried everything, like I went to like suppliers, I made deals. I hired a sign spinner at one point to spin a sign in front of my suppliers that said top pay Masons $50 an hour until they called the police on us. And then I was like, Hey, now can I put a, you know, now can I put a sign on your desk? And they're like, all right, we'll have that conversation now. Like I was trying everything. And then we built the course. So obviously I fixed my company. I helped people locally do it, built a course. We ended up getting endorsed by ZipRecruiter. And indeed the co-founder of ZipRecruiter went through everything and he's like, this is nuts. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I just, I built it, helped people do it. Um, And we had great success with this course. And then we went on to, uh, I had a person on Facebook and they wrote a comment and they were like, if you're so good at this, why don't you just do it for companies? And I was like, you know what? I think he's right. So we ended up building a company that actually does it. So we're disrupting the recruiter model and the staffing agency model where it's a flat, low monthly fee and we handle all of the hiring and we do it by position. So like we'll have a client and they'll hire three carpenters in a month no added fees, no nothing. I mean, it's 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 pretty neat what we're doing. It's because you know this is was my biggest issue in the business. So, what verticals in the blue collar space will you recruit for? I mean, we're doing eighty seven. Put it this way: we're in Canada, and we're we're getting ready to go into Australia right now as we speak. So, and industry wise, I mean, all of them. I think it's eighty seven different industries. I'd have to get with my my head of fulfillment, but I mean, we're we're in we're in a lot of them. Restoration. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Asking um, for a friend. <laughs> yeah. HVAC, I expect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We've got another client who's asking as well. Yep. No, that's great. Oh, that's good, man. Yep. How does it work, Matt? Like if I'm I'm a restoration contractor, because that's the world that Larry and I come from, and I'm like, I need three techs and a new project manager, and I call Matt, like, how can you walk us through so that pe- the listener can kind of understand how the whole thing works? So we have that course. I think the course is good. The problem is I realize a lot of companies just don't have the bandwidth, you know, like if you have an HR team and they want to take the course to get better, like 37 ways to find all this, you know, we talk about vetting, hiring, retention, like all those strategies, what to do. But for like the done for you side of things, you come in as a client, I need to know what, so we we have a really unique model. So we become like the hiring arm of your company. So it's, you know, it's three positions that we'll do it actively for. And what we do is we write your job descriptions, we audit your competitors, and we audit your company. So I'm going to do two things right away. I'm going to understand what are your competitors offering so that you can look better online. And then I'm going to figure out why is Larry, who's worked for you for 20 years, why is he showing up every day? Because chances are you might not know, at least not from his words. So we're going to do an internal audit, right? Honest employee audit, we call it, and then a competitor audit. We're going to build a keyword tested job description. We post to 157 job boards, but we have all these different ways to outreach. But what's really cool is my team's dedicated. So we're going to get in touch with those candidates within the first 10 minutes. They apply, we're getting in touch with them. We're pre-screening the interviews. And so all that business owner is doing is showing up to final vetted approved interviews. That's it. So like we're, we're handling all of that front end heavy lifting. And then you're basically saying, yes, no, we handle all the rejections, handle the offer letters, handle the, um, you know, background checks, coordination of that. But the biggest lift is is having the ability to focus exclusively on this gives us such an edge because we can keyword test, we can track the data, and we can improve the campaign every week for a frat. Like for for example, we have a client and they um they hired a recruiter for uh, a tech. Our service, they could have had us three positions for 11 months for one recruiter fee for a technician. Yeah. So how does the the fee system work? It's just based on size or based on needs or it's a flat so fee for everybody. 1500 bucks a month. So we have to build for for a lot of clients we have to build out assets so there's we have to figure out what they have and then what we need to build, but it's $1500 a month and we do it for three positions. So like we have a client for 1500 we we had one client that hired three carpenters in the first month. And that was through one position, right? Because each position has its own job description, its own screening questions. So we do that actively. Like, you know, we'll hire an operations manager, project manager, and techs. And then it's like, hey, if you hire three, four, five techs in the first month, great. Like, I built the business that I wanted and I needed yeah. when you know when I was struggling. And we've got a, a, a phenomenal team of people that 
kind of feel the same way all all started and or have a background in construction you you made me think of a question matt when you were kind of talking about going back to the employees that have been there a long time that that like it there so you know you guys have unique data that a lot of other companies may not right so like do you find common denominators in 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 contracting companies that these are the characteristics that people stay and i would love to hear that cuz that's 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 the golden goose right there <laughs> we do we do so money plays a part money is definitely a part but what we find i mean it's it's there's no like golden golden egg that you wouldn't expect i mean a lot of it is just culture yeah, right to say it's culture it's defining a unique culture so you know, one of the things that that we we do, like for example, in my construction company, I have uh, ten crews, and we have a, a a spinning wheel, and it's got all these different prizes you can win. You know, like two hundred dollar gift card, five hundred dollar gift card, you know, ten dollar Seven Eleven card. It's a bunch of different things, and one of the prizes is a rubber chicken. Right? We made it as a joke, and so anytime anybody on the crew does something good, or my my managers have these branded poker chips, and they can give them out. And then once a month, we do a full team get together. It'd be like a Saturday. We rent like jumpers, families, kids, and we announce what they did and why they got it. And they spin this wheel. And, and, you know, you walk away with, I mean, if you've done the average person is getting like two, three, four of these, they're making a grand usually or, or get really cool prizes. But what we found was that what was most exciting was the rubber chicken. Like I had nine out of my 10 foremen that had these rubber chickens, you know, and they're all like squeezing them. And the last person who didn't have ones like walks up and he's like rubber chicken. And in my mind, I'm like, we had one prize was a dollar an hour raise for a year. It's a real small little wedge on this wheel, you know, which costs about two grand, right? 40 hours yeah, a week. say $2,080. Yeah, yeah $2,080. So in my head, I couldn't believe it. When we rolled this out, this was like five years ago uh, or four years ago now. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, they want a, a $2 rubber chicken as opposed to a $2,000. And we see that throughout companies. Like, it's like, I want to be involved more. I want my, I want to be heard more. I want better communication. My ideas appreciated. There's no, it's, it's counterintuitive to a lot of what we think. No, but if you look at cultures and what works and what doesn't work, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because successful businesses focus on their teams and how they're going to help them excel because you get your team excelling the whole company's going to excel. One thing leads after the other. And what you're saying, the rubber chicken is so much more important to these guys because they're having a great time than the money. I mean, Eric's got a lot to say to that, I'm sure. Well, you know, I mean, we just had a guy, Leighton Healy, on from a, a company called Know How, and they do a lot of kind of restoration surveys about workers. So they just came out with a book called Winning, Winning with Workers. And, you know, he came up with like kind of eight things that you need to do to win with your team or your potential, you know, hires. And one of them was build a weird culture. And what you just said, Matt, is a weird culture, right? Like where you have people that go, I, I'll forego two grand for a chicken because in our company, that chicken holds a lot of weight, right? You know, and, you know, he was, we, he was asking Larry and I on the podcast about our company and, and look, we started with a really poor culture. Like Larry and I didn't get it at the beginning. We were like, we get work, we pay you, you do work. What's the problem here? You, you know? And like, we just didn't understand like that. Cause that's how we came up. And, you know, we had the dad who said, just figure it out. Yeah. You know? So once we kind of did though, our weird culture that we identified was, is that we kind of created a success academy within confines of our business where we were investing in them way past, like for their own personal growth, way past any other job they'd ever had. So people would not leave because they're just like, our weird culture was like, we're going to be giving you lessons like all the time about how to get better at work and how to get better at home and how to, you know, be healthier and all these things. And I love that you said about the chicken because it just reminds me like of a lot of the things that we did. Like people don't just want money. Yes, they want money. They do. Like we all do. But, you know, like I noticed with our guys, like if they did something great and we gave them 500 bucks, they'd be like, hey, thanks. That's cool. But if we gave them something that might have been even half that much money, but it was thoughtful, like a gift, they they appreciated it way more. For sure. I mean, I the same thing. I mean, I joke. So I did a presentation and I said, you know, 
when I started in construction, I knew the size of the mistake by how loud I got yelled at. Like if it was real, it was like, Matt! I was like, oh shoot, I better run to this one, you know? But if he's like, Matt, I'd be like, okay. And I kind of waddle. Oh, it's a small mistake. Like, that's, that's where I started. Right. And that's the whole rubber chicken thing was an accident. But I realized like, again, going back to my dad, it's like, you know, the, the things that were right versus wasn't, he told me that he's like, look, you know, if you pay well, people will come and here I am. I got, you know, a bunch of, of grown men squeaking rubber chickens, you know, for three bucks. And it's like, it happened by accident. We went to the team when we built the wheel. We're like, all right, we got one little space we forgot about. What do we want? I was like, it's got to be valueless because we built this whole tracking system. So yeah. I can't screw up the financial optics. And they were like, one person was like rubber chicken. And so we did that. And here we are three months later, they're all like squeezing it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's where's, where's the fun in your company? Cause we, we, there's so much stress in business and so much stress in life. It's like, where am I? Like when I grew up with my dad, like joking around and having fun and, you know, go get the brick stretcher. Right. Or my dad would be like, Hey, I need a hundred feet of shoreline. And I'm like, where's that? He's like, by the ocean, you know, I'm looking at the trailer for an hour. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, all <laughs> silly, you know, like, like all these silly things that you'd have on the job site. And the fun is a big aspect for sure. Weird culture and fun. Yeah. That, that's good, man. I like that. Hey, I have a big announcement to make today about uh, our company, Supertech University. We have started an affiliate program, and we have started an affiliate program that may, may be a little different than the affiliate programs that you've heard about or seen in the past. And we, I don't even like the word affiliate, right? I, I like the word partner. And we really want partners. We, we're not a transaction-based type of company. We're a relationship company. Uh, both Larry and I are wired that way. So we want partners. And, and to prove that point, we are doing a 50% revenue split on every sale, right? So uh, somebody joins Supertech University, our affiliate would get half the revenue. They're sharing it with us. So it's in our best interest to make sure that the product's good. And then that person stays for a long time because they're going to get 50% every single month, not just for a month or two, you know, we're, we're in it for the long haul together. So if you are interested in possibly becoming an affiliate with Supertech University, please reach out to me via email. That's eric, E-R-I-C, at supertechu.com. That's E-R-I-C at S-U-P-E-R-T-E-C-H, the letter U.com. So, you know, that being said, what, what, you know, especially when it comes to hiring and then obviously once you've hired, you need to retain, what, what do you think the biggest mistakes a lot of contractors make that, well, that they struggle with this? Yeah. So it's a big circle, right? It's like the, it's ironic because you kind of have to fix your culture before you really get good at hiring, right? Cause you find that hire and retain, but if I'm bringing people into a bad culture, I'll keep losing them. It's like holes in the bucket. Um, I ask business owners, I say, look, if you've kept every single person you've ever hired in business, would you have a hiring problem? And a lot of them laugh and go, no. And it's a funny anecdote, but it's like, you know, it, it highlights the importance of keeping the people you have. So I think the, one of the biggest things I see is communication and setting people up well in the beginning. So talking like we, onboarding. Well, onboarding, but but also pre-framing and pre-scheduling communication. So the first two weeks are critical. Do I have everything I need? Is it a buddy system for hiring? Like, what do you do to set them up so that the first two weeks where there's a lot of what we call first impressions, they're set up. But also, if you pre-schedule communication, you can kind of fill any gaps. So like we we recommend at a minimum. So like, for example, my construction company, if you're hired on, you're going to get a two-week review, a 30-day review, and a 90-day review. You're eligible for a raise at all of those. So in four months, three reviews. And it's nice because... You don't have to pull people aside and bring them in the office if they're doing something wrong because you can look at your calendar and go, oh, well, I'll talk to them in three days or I'll talk to them in a week. And it's all built out so it's not heavy and you can get in front of problems because nobody quits the day they quit, right? You always quit a couple of weeks before or months before. It's the buildup that kills companies. So it's not about being perfect. It's not about having everything right. It's about having checkpoints in place where you can catch it. And we still to this day... We'll get somebody on a 30-day, right? So they've done their two-week check-in and they're doing a 30-day. And we'll realize like, oh, this person gave you the wrong info or this happened or you're right. We didn't do this right. But I caught it early enough where there was no resentment, there was no problems, and it didn't build up and blow up. 
Yeah, Larry, Larry and I late later on in our business, we went to a 30-day quick review for everybody in the company. So everybody got reviewed every 30 days. They weren't always a raise, obviously, because nobody could afford to do that. Yeah. But that also takes some of the fear. A lot of contractors don't like to review people because they're like, oh, I'm going to have to give that person a raise. It's like, well, if you meet with them frequently, not necessarily, right? And it was such a game changer for us because it's so hard for a person to get way off track when you review them frequently. Like, you know, they're off track a little bit by that next one and you kind of can bump them back to where you want. And it doesn't seem like, you know, an attack on them. It's just a little bit of feedback. And then, you know, it, it worked to the other side too, Matt, where somebody that had like, you know, 20 months straight of like the best review ever. And all of a sudden you're like, what happened? So, you know, you're like, dude, what's going on? And then you always find out getting a divorce. My mom's got cancer, right? So now we can rally around that person. So it has works both ways. So Larry and I are both I like, opponents of, of reviewing frequently, but, but quick short ones. No, no. And it's great how you said um, that you can see two weeks before they're going to quit. And you see that, you know, you can see ahead of schedule and that's what is super helpful. What you're saying is cool. So yeah, continue please. Cause you got a lot of cool stuff to say. Well, I mean, I think, you know, on the, on the hiring side, technology plays a big part. Like uh, if you use geofencing as a, is a, is a tool you can use on the hiring side, it's a, it's a software where you can essentially put an, uh, an invisible fence around a location and, and put a hiring ad, right. If you know how to use it, um, a career video. So a short video, 60 seconds to about a, a minute and a half showcasing the company. I mean, we, we have, so many clients that you, you get to know them and you're like, wow, you are so unique, so cool, such a great person. I'm sure you feel this way with a lot of people you meet in the industry, right? We're all unique in our own right. And the career video showcases that weird culture so that the candidate, when they're applying, they watch the video instead of reading a boring job description. And they're like, okay, I want to apply for this for this company. I, I um, think I think things have changed and and people need to recognize that hiring is also an extension of your marketing. Right. You know, it's like I, you know, I'll give you an example. Matt. So we, I have a, I have a customer in a very rural area where they pace very well, good company, and he can't find service managers. And there's a big city three hours away. And he was like, Oh, you know, I'm going to put indeed ads out. And I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. like, what are those going to say? And it, you know, it's the same thing. Every single other one. I'm like, how much is the median house price in your town? He's like 190,000 will buy you a nice, nice house. And I'm like, well, in the big city, service managers can't buy a house. So why doesn't the ad reflect like come here and live the American dream where you can afford a home because you're going to get paid that, right? And all of a sudden, like the light bulb went off in him because he he is a good marketer. And he's like, oh my gosh, like that's going to get me more phone calls than doing some boring indeed ad, which I need to get, I need to get these guys with you, by the way, that's a whole different story. <laughs> but you know, my point was, is like, why are we trying to like compete with the same stupid ad everybody else is doing? Like you actually have something that's of value to people. You have affordable housing and you pay well. Like, why wouldn't you use that as part of your hiring narrative? And that's what I specifically recruit. So I'm in the city of LA and I recruit like my construction company out in the outskirts where people are used to commuting. They want to live, they want to have a backyard, but then they, they don't mind driving an extra hour to make four or $5 an hour more rather than working locally. So like we've used that same psychology. It's, it's, it's that concept of how do you make things more innovative and you can do, you can audit your competitors, like go to the big cities and see what the companies that are massive with endless budgets are doing. You'll get golden nuggets and you don't have to be the first person to ever do it. You just got to be the first person in your city or town and you'll just, you'll clean up. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I'm going to do a hypothetical, Matt, because you've been in this forever, right? Like your whole life. So if you were going to start some sort of, you know, blue collar business, you know, plumbing, heating, masonry, whatever, knowing all the things that you know now, because we have a lot of like people that listen that might be newer or they work somewhere and they're thinking of going on their own. What were some of the things that you've learned over the years that you would be like, okay, if I'm going to start today from scratch, knowing what I know, what what would some of those things be? I mean, I would have spent more time working at other companies and really getting mentorship first. 
you know, I think that in the family, we were a little bit stifled. Um, I worked for like my dad encouraged it later. He was like, go work for this person. But it was a little bit more like, see if it's better. Not like go learn, you know? Uh, so it wasn't like, a, hey, go learn. Go be a spy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wish I did that a little bit more. Um, and then I think understanding um, a little bit more, having a little bit more of a of a, a definitive plan. I would have modeled after... I would have taken a company that was three steps ahead of me and I would have studied like, okay, how big are they? What are they doing? I would have had that in which we never did. And the other part is I would have sought mentorship, like mentorship, hiring good vendors that, that are experts at certain fields. Like that's the other thing that we didn't do. We felt like, cause in the field, you have to figure it out. You're on the job site and it's like, there's nobody else. There's no one you can turn to and you got to figure it out. And that's a good mindset to have. And that gets you somewhere. But then when you get out into the world of business, I wish I took that hat off much sooner and went, okay, who's two steps ahead of me? Like, who's my big brother in this situation, right? Because I'm the little brother. I'm trying to grow. I want to I become better. Who's the big brother that I can work with and model after? Who's my mentor and who are the vendors? And I would have I looked outside of what we were doing more and tried to understand that. That's really where we grew quickly. Um, it's a big, big, not a regret, but, but it was, I would have done much more, much faster if I did that. Yeah, Larry and I are huge proponents of getting a coach and a mentor right, right quick. I mean, when we started our business, you know, one of the, you know, we started January 2nd, 2008, Matt. It was the worst time on that stupid thing, you know? And yeah, and we were on survival mode for at least the first 18 months, just trying to, you know, and, and, uh, but, you know, one of the things that I had learned growing up, I had you know, referenced it early, earlier, you know, I grew up in athletics and you always have a coach. Like, that's just like, you don't even think about that. It's like, I play this sport. Who's my coach, right? Or who's my trainer or who's whatever. So I agree. Like that person can cut your learning curves down to like percentage points, right? Because you're going to, people go like, that's expensive. No, nothing's more expensive than going out and figuring it out on your own, right? You know, like you're going to spend a fraction with whatever you spend on that trainer mentor than you would if you went and just tried to wing it like fraction. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. And, you know, you said 1500 bucks. I'm just sitting there going, that's the cheapest thing ever because like, because some people might be bristling at 1500 a month. It's like. Well, you know how much that's actually going to cost you if you go and make all the wrong hires and, and go long periods of time. You know, I have another client that we've been trying to fill a position for him for a very long time. And, you know, we kind of sat down and just talked to, you know, because he was, we were talking about salary. And I was just like, well, what's the opportunity cost of not having this person? What's that? That's what is the opportunity. Yeah, what's but it's also the opportunity cost? cost of what you're doing in the meantime to get that person. Yeah. It's just a waste of, yeah, you, could be, you know, you're losing millions of dollars a year trying to find that one person that you need opposed to just go spend the money and get a, get a, get a person to help you hire, go make it, make it happen. So, all right, oh, Matt, I know we're, we're running out of time and, and you're a busy guy, you have things to do, but I want to, I want to do a bonus round, try to do this with most of our clients, clients, <laughs> most of the people on the podcast, a uh, couple of your favorite business books and why. Uh, I like uh, rich. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I thought that was a good one. Kind of gave me a good perspective on on being a business owner and what that meant. Uh, Think and Grow Rich um, was another good one. Uh, and then there's a book called The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. Dude, oh, we just read we just that. That, that. That was awesome. Pod- we have a book. We have a book club on the podcast. We just did that a few months ago. What an amazing <laughs> book! Yeah. I love that book. I, I've been to a lot of his seminars. I mean, he's like, so I didn't do have- you know that he's the muse for rich dad, right? Yep, I, okay, know. I wasn't yeah. sure if you knew that. Like, that's not widely known. No, I go to, I've been to every one of his live events. Like I've been to the four day MBA. I've been to every single, I mean, I went to the four day MBA twice. Talk about not having a business background. I was like, I got to learn this stuff, the language of business. And I was, yeah. yeah Little learner. Yeah. <laughs> Little learner with money. Yeah. yeah, there you go. We, we, we were part of a coaching group, and the guy would stand up there and go, "My favorite clients are slow learners with money." <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, yeah, because he saw us there all the time, so he's like yeah, he's pointing at us practically. 
All right, a couple podcasts that, that you could recommend to uh to people who like business. Oh gosh, you know, or anything not, in life. It doesn't have to be just business. You know, I think finding finding you know, one one thing I'm doing more of lately is just creating space to do nothing and just letting everything soak in. That's honestly like I used to be big podcast books all the time. And and I'm finding that if I take a couple hours and just get re, you know, re-inspired with my family or I I just block out nothing time for me. I'm getting way more done and and just just letting things soak in and 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 percolate. You know, it, it, that's such great advice because uh, Andy Frisella talks about. I think he calls them like training zombies. Like they just are always on the next training, the next book, the next podcast. He's like, but they never actually sit down, and they've learned so much they can never implement even a fraction of what they're learning. And yet they're not doing anything. They're always looking for the next podcast and the next book. So I, I think what you just said is is really sage advice. Just think for a change. Yeah, that's that's the little Keith Cunningham, you know? It's like thinking, yeah. yep. take the time to think. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, Matt, before we, we uh, go, can you tell everybody how to get a hold of you and how to get a hold of contractor consultants about the hiring and, and any anything that you would like them to know about it. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, the website, uh, thecontractorconsultants.com, which, you know, I'm sure it'll be somewhere. And then uh, you can email me if you have any questions. I mean, I love this stuff. This is like my passion here. So MD at thecontractorconsultants.com is my direct email. And yeah, if there's anything I can offer, I'd be happy to. All right. Well, thanks, man. That was an awesome conversation. We really appreciate it. No, glad we're here with you. This is very cool. Thanks for coming on. You're one of us. We always love when we have somebody that's like-minded come on the show. This is like home for me. This is like an extension of home. I feel like I've known you both my whole life and it's only been an hour. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Well, well next time we're <laughs> in LA. So our business was in Ranch Cucamonga. Yeah, you're that far away. You know, yeah. we're, we're both gone now. Larry's in New Jersey and I live in Utah. But uh, yeah, next time we're in town, we'll, uh, we'll hook up. Cool. Yeah, I'd love that. All right. All right. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Nation podcast. For more information about Eric and Larry and Supertech University, please visit us at supertechu.com. That is supertechu, the letter U, dot com.